Well, I wanted to share this really briefly uh, this morning. It's it's a message. This is out of sync. You know, normally we're kind of just preaching through a book. This one is just kind of a random, like, plucked out story. And it's, but it ties into Exodus. You remember we were going through the book of Exodus and God had saved the Israelite people, the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. And they took Moses and all the plagues and all that stuff and then got them out and he saved them a couple times from, you know, the armies, and he fed them, and he protected all the Israelite people through the wilderness. But the book of Exodus just kind of ends there. It ends where they're following God in the wilderness, which we find ourselves as Christian people living a very similar kind of life as what they were living. You know, we're not exactly where we're supposed to be. We're living in kind of a wilderness, but we have God, and we're following God within that wilderness. And it's a very good picture to see. But then that's not the end of the story. I mean, there's a lot more of the Bible after the second book. <laughs> and so this story kind of comes in uh, kind of right after Exodus, but it's, uh, it's kind of like Ecclesiastes. It could be seen as a little bit of a downer, but it's, I want us to hear it as more of an encouragement and a warning. And what it is, is that God had brought them out of slavery, but he had promised to take them to another place. He's like, I'm going to give you a place to live where you're not slaves. That's really great. It's got like great flowing with milk and honey are the terms you hear. It's like, this is an abundant place I'm taking you to, and it's going to be a place where you can live. It's going to be a nice place, a good place, because you got to follow me to get there. And then they do. And you see uh, the term in Deuteronomy is this. It says this in Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 23. In the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations and decrees and the laws that your Lord God had commanded you, that God had given them in the desert and Sinai and everything, tell him, tell him, your descendants, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and the whole household. You all remember we studied all that stuff. And then verse 23. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised an oath to our ancestors. So not just getting us out of something, but to take us somewhere else. You know, get us out bring us in. He brought us out. And we can identify with that, that God has brought us out of where we were to bring us into where we're supposed to be. And so we find them right at that spot where they're at the edge of the bringing them in, right? Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, so they've gotten all the way right up to the edge of this promised land, right? And they don't know exactly what it's going to be like. Numbers 13. Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. That's 12 guys. So the Lord, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran and all of them were leaders in, of the Israelites. They're, here are their names and he lists them all off. Um, but we only really need to remember Joshua and Caleb. You'll see why. Go to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev. And on into the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak or few or many. And what, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled fortify, or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile Is it poor or poor? Are there trees or, or in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And it was the season for the ripe grapes. So God says, go check it out. Like, here's the land I got you. Send some guys. Check it out. So Moses is like, okay. And he's like, bring back some info on, you know, what it's like. And so go into verse 21. So they went up and explored the land. And it tells them, like, they went the whole thing. They checked the whole thing out. Verse 23, they searched the valley of Eshcol. They cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. 
and two of them carried it on a pole between them. So that means it was big. Like, it's like one cluster, but huge. And I meant to have a photo, and I don't. So just imagine a big thing of grapes, or the thing everybody's coloring in, you know, a whole lot of grapes. So it's like, yeah, this is pretty fruitful stuff. Two men of them carried on a pole between them, along with them, along with some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they went out, checked it out, found some, they found out everything about it, and they brought back this huge cluster of grapes. Like, yo, check this out, you know. And uh, <laughs> these grapes, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say something stupid. <laughs> I won't do it. Be banging? Yeah, don't do it? Okay. All right. I'm, in, uh, I'm struggling with becoming the age where you're lame all the time. And so, anyway, verse, verse 20, stop. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They're like, check it out. These grapes are awesome. <laughs> and they gave Moses this account. We went into this, to the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. It's awesome, just like God said it was. Okay? But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites live in, in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And Caleb silenced, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for certainly we can do it. But, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are, great, are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked, we looked the same to them. So like they, they were so big that they, they were like, we're just like grasshoppers to these people. You know, we can't fight them. So they brought back the report. And unfortunately, the land was exactly as God said. But I mean, fortunately, it's exactly as God said. But unfortunately, there's like giants there too, like. In fortified cities, and what are you going to do about it? You know, <laughs> and the, and so everybody's like, we're going to not do anything. Like I don't know, you know, what are we supposed to do? And Caleb's like, I think we can handle it. You know, if God sent us here, right? And they're like, no, I don't think so. And then it goes on, Numbers fourteen. The night that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt. Or in the wilderness, second. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's their plan after seeing the giant people. They're like, we should just go back to slavery in Egypt. And then I'm going to skip a lot of part. God gets really mad and decides he's going to, you know, kill everybody. But Moses is like, hey, you know, maybe not. Let's, you know, there's an exchange there. And so God decides to forgive everyone, but he doesn't just move on. Verse 20 and 14, he says, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, which is assuredly, <laughs> not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness 
but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised an oath to their ancestors. No one has treated me with contempt. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went into, and the descendants will inherit it. And they have to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. So just a little recap. They get to where they're supposed to be. They go, God says, go check it out. They go check it out. They find out it's awesome, but there's also giants there. And then everybody goes, we should probably just, I wish we were dead or had gone back. We should go back to slavery because that's better than this. And only one, and we'll get to two guys, Joshua, because he also, there's a, <laughs> there's a book, you know, like <laughs> he, he, he ended up being good. And uh, those two guys were like, I think we'll be all right. And everybody else gave up and God gets really mad and sends them back to the wilderness again. Back from, they were at the promised land place, back to the wilderness and you're all going to not see it, except for these guys. So you might go like, why are you starting off the new year with a story like this? It's, it's, it's kind of, here's why. At the time of the new year, and uh, even like retailers know this, you know, this is the time we make these new year's resolutions. It's, it's one of the weird times, it's not weird, it's, 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 in one sense it's arbitrary. It's like, yes, the earth orbited the sun one more time, and here we go. But in another sense, it's one of the times where, we reflect on time, you know, we did, like we look back on the year or we look forward to the year and we make resolutions. What do I want to do? What do I want to see? Where do I want to go? What do I want my family to be doing? And then all those kinds of things. And as you'll see, when we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not wrong to think that way. There's times and seasons to things. And this is something God does. And it's right to have moments of reflection and stuff like that. And so at a time where our culture and our world is entering into a new year and we are reflective, it's good to look at a story like this because this is also a threshold moment. We're in 2023 and then at midnight tonight, we'll be in 2024. There's like a threshold you pass through, like going through a door. These guys were at the edge of the promised land and then they could have gone in or they sent some guys in, but they could have all gone in, you know? And so we look at where we're going and we make plans and stuff, but God also has plans. This is the thing that I want to say. But they're good. I'm going to pop these two verses out. They're the ones that come to mind. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is the prophet speaking to Israel that's going into exile. This is much later in the Bible story. And, they're being, and he's like, but I'm going to bring you back after like 70 years. But he's making, he's like, because I have plans. Like, y'all kind of messed up some stuff, but I have plans and they're going to work out. Because I'm God in all. This is kind of what's in this. But they're good because I love you. They're good. Or in the New Testament, which we'll read when we get there, Romans 8, 28. And, I, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's you and me. Have you been called according to his purpose? So what things is God going to work together for our good? All of the things? Okay. Because here's the thing, we don't have control, this is not a news flash, but it seems to be, we need to be reminded of this, we don't have control over everything in our lives. A lot of us like to pretend we do, or think we do, but we don't. And uh, things happen to us, and sometimes it's just like an unexpected, a horrible event, or an unexpected, even good event, but like an unexpected event, or just things that we don't have control over, something at work, or something with other people, and those other people did something, and you couldn't, you know... 
And sometimes it's like finding out something, kind of like what these guys are doing. It's like, well, yeah, I would expect God to lead us into a great place, being God and all, and he's going to take us to this place. And it turns out it actually is great, but there's this other, there's also giants there part. You know, like I've recently, I, I shared this a couple months ago, that like this, this understanding now that like, you know, Christian leaders that we kind of have a lot of faith, like, wow, this is a really great guy. And it turns out he wasn't a really great guy, you know, and that can really mess with, it's been messing with my head, you know, this thing with Mike Bickle and other people, you know, you're like, that's not what I thought was going on, you know, and you can find yourself, I found myself reflecting on a lot of things, like, well, what else did you say that wasn't true? Or what else was going, you know, and then it dawned on me one moment, I was like, because I'd be like, this is just so surprising. And I was like, well, you know who wasn't surprised by this? God, you know, there's moments where we suddenly realize something that God obviously knew the whole time. And so it kind of helped me go, oh, okay, I get it. You know, because the Israelites, God had said, yeah, the land's going to be flowing with milk and honey and all this great stuff. He didn't necessarily promise there weren't going to be anybody, like, he said, I'll take you there and we'll deal with it. But there's going to be some dealing with it. You know, it's not like, well, yeah, and everything lived happily ever after and nobody had to ever do anything, you know, because there were grapes. They had the grapes in their hands. They're like, this is the fruit of the land. It's literally just what God said. But there's this other detail we didn't know yet, that there's giants there. But God knew. We just didn't know. So nothing changed, really. We just know now. But it feels like everything changed because suddenly there's, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. It was like, well, God knew when he said those things what it was like. And he said them. This is important to get because we can get stuck going, well, it's different now. It's like, what's different now? Nothing changed in this, con- this type of situation. You just know something you didn't know. And so 2024 is a time where God has great plans for us as a church, as individuals, as families, all this kind of thing. He's going to use even the bad things in our lives for our good. Like, we don't have to worry about that. I don't know about you, but I worry about that, you know, <laughs> I'm saying this as a statement of faith, like, we need to not worry about that. We need to encourage each other that God's actually got it. But we can also look ahead and know there's giants in the land. You know, 2024 is like, what's in store for 2024? I mean, I don't know if y'all are, like, into politics or anything, but <laughs> there's some giants that we're going to encounter in 2024. And I don't have to be in a prophet, like, I had a visitation from the Lord. He showed me all this. It's like, it's like I just thought about it for five seconds, and these are the things that came to my mind. No, but I do think there are a couple giants that we're going to encounter, and I, I, these are the two that stuck out to me that I wanted to talk about. One is just the giant of anger, um, and I would say this one predominantly would find itself, I mean, corporately in this political sphere. You know, there's so much rage about all the politics and all the, you know, this candidate, that, and da, 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 da. And the people capitalize on that, and they keep us mad at each other and use Facebook and other tools to do this. And we all know it. And we're all like, yeah, I know it bothers everybody else, but not me, <laughs> obviously. I'm the one that somehow doesn't get affected by this stuff. And it's like, no, we're living in it. Like, this is, these are the giants in the land. And it's not like all bad. There's grapes, milk and honey, and giants. One of the giants we're dealing with is anger as a culture right now. And the weird part is that, not that we're mad, because there's plenty of things to be mad about, you know. The weird part is how much of the church and Christian people are attempting to, like, baptize their anger. 
Like, I know I'm mad, but can you blame me? Look at these people and blah, blah, blah. And how can you, you know, this kind of thing. And so that's a danger. If, like, you find yourself like, can you believe with the world these days? This is kind of like that thing with, like, you got to the promised land and you found out there was giants there. And news to me, news to you, you know, it's not news to. So there's this weird way where we should be honest. Like, if I say, I can't believe what I'm seeing in this place, and like, that's just an honest statement. But when you start to move into, can you believe, or like, there's bigger language we use, it starts to say something about God. Like, look at the world these days, God can't handle it. Now, we don't say that last part, but there's this angst behind it, you know, or these people that are unlovable or whatever. You know what I'm talking about, so we don't need to keep going into this. But this is a giant. And what I mean by, uh, can we take them or not? Like, Caleb's like, surely we can, we can, we can win this, you know? I don't mean like owning the libs or like, you know. <laughs> or taking down some sort of whatever. Pick your side. I don't really care so much. But the point is, when we let that control us, we've lost. That's the going back to Egypt thing. You're like, oh, you want to be a slave to anger. Okay, I see how this works. You know what I mean? Or we can go fight it. And by fight it, it's overcoming with, you know, the spirit. So another one I think is this, is fear. This one, I think, corporately, we're experiencing a whole lot of fear Financially, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I used to be able to buy more stuff with the amount of money I had. And I told my wife, I was like, we're all good as long as we don't eat food and stuff like that. So, and I know everybody else is feeling the same way. And it causes a lot of, I mean, for, I mean I'll speak for myself, a lot of fear where you're like, wow, you know, like, is this going to work out? I mean, like the economy is complicated. It's not even like my lane. I had to have a soft come up and speak. But like, I don't even understand. Like, Things happen, and then money, you know, it feels very much outside of my control. You follow what I mean? And uh, it can mess with my head. Like, I, I, I'm more, like are we going to be able to pay for our kids to do this? Or, da, 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 or whatever, da, da, you know. And again, you know, who's not surprised by this? God, yeah. And, like, sometimes the way we've been living, we just assume that's just fine. Like, that's how it works. You know, I was reading one article. I will stay in my lane so I don't, because I don't, I'm not an economy person, but... That in the last 10 or 15 years, we've gotten used to living maybe several notches above where we actually were because there was a lot of inflated things going on and stimulus things going on. You know, like it wasn't normal in the 70s to just, or 80s even, maybe like to live in the Uber Eats sort of world where like, you know, you can just order food and have some guy bring it to you and all this kind of, like these things didn't really exist. They did have pizza delivery and things, but it was like not exactly the same. And when it's all being propped up, it feels like, wow, this is great. And it is great because that's what rich people did. <laughs> like rich people had people bring them stuff, but like not normal people, you know. And then when all the normal people get, we all get used to the stuff like this, you know, and you could pick your poison. There's hundreds of thousands of these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden they get threatened or they don't exist anymore. You can be like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to live with the, without this, you know. And we're like, well, everybody, everybody lived without that. You know, it was just like, this is not a normal thing. We start to put our faith in these things. And Paul talks about being content in all things. And... Uh, We're going to have to get used to maybe more of a reality of where we actually are financially, you know, stretching things out to make things work. And that's actually okay. God is with us in all of that. It doesn't mean we failed. It doesn't mean any of those things. But the problem that we're going to notice is that, you know, you get used to a couple notches maybe above where you actually were. When that resets, which is kind of happening right now, some people fall below that line of we don't have enough anymore, you know. 
And we'll have to, you know, try to help take care of people and stuff like that. But all of these things can cause, I think, two big, two big giants that we're going to face in 2024 are anger and fear. And I think we should approach it like Caleb, where we can take them, you know, because there are plenty of things to be angry about. And there are plenty of things to be afraid of. And I meant to say, like, it's not, fear is not just financial. There's plenty of things that, like, there's people whose lives have details going on in them that are scary, you know, without God. Or you don't know what's going to happen at your job. You don't know what's going to happen with your family that might be on the edge of falling apart. These are things worth being concerned about. But we have to remember who's not surprised. And we have to be ready to face it, knowing that God is not left us. He's not like, all right, have it, you know. He wanted them to check it out. You see what I'm saying? Do you think God was like, I hope they don't notice the giants? When they, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I hope they see the grapes so they don't notice the giants. He's like, he knew it was there. He wanted them to see what, they, what he was giving them. In a way, it's a test. And here's the thing. When I mean facing giants and stuff, it's not denial. There's this weird Christian thing a lot of people do. Like, I don't see that. I don't receive that. Bless the Lord. And you're like, what? Like, it actually happened. This is a real thing. You know, no, no, bless God. I don't see that. I'm not, you know, we're like, I'm not sick. You know, Lord, you know, you're like, hold on, dude. Like, were the giants there? Not trick question. Yes. So if somebody, if Caleb was like, I don't think there is even our giants. We can take this. And then people would be like, obviously you're not paying attention or you're being dishonest or I don't know what you're doing. You're imagining something. This isn't the reality. And the reality, the place God was taking them to, the promised land, was full of giants. And he knew it the whole time. And he knew eventually they would get there. But people were trusting in of themselves. They weren't wrong. The other guys that went out and came back weren't wrong. It's important that we acknowledge that. It's not like, I'm never afraid. I'm never angry at anything, you know. It's real. But we can overcome it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I believe that we, we're going to be able to do that. I meant to share one thing. Um, our women's group and a couple other people, they've read a book. I don't have a picture of it. Normally I would called Unoffendable. It was by a man named Brent Hansen. So normally I would have a picture, Unoffendable by Brent Hansen. And if you have been struggling, or if you've been around family and it's been, you know, if you have been struggling with anger, this is a really good book. It's very readable. It's very usable. If your wife was in the Bible study that did it, ask her to borrow it. Y'all read it together. It's something we should kind of have in the front of our minds because this guy makes the case in this book. Okay, I'll tell you what the, the, the whole point is. And if he's not 100% right, theologically, he's so close to being 100% right that practically, I would say he's right, okay? He makes the case that there isn't really a proper place for Christians to be offended and angry at things, which to our culture now, I know sounds absolutely insane, like that can't be right, because we're so used to saying everything I'm mad about is good to be mad about. It's righteous anger. This is the term we use. He makes a pretty strong case in this book that I happen to agree with after reading it, because I went in a little like, I don't know, dude. I mean, there's some things to be mad at in this world. And as I was reading, I was like, well, you know, you, you're making a good point that righteous anger is something God does. And the rest of us kind of don't. And so <laughs> it does a really good job to help us through 
how do you actually deal with this? Because if you fall off into denial, you're not, you're just, I don't know what you're doing. You're destruct, it's destructive. It's harmful to you. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about overcoming here. Because God has promises and has blessing and good things for our lives, but they're going to be right alongside these giants. I'm going to call Kevin up here. We're going to close the service today with, um, with communion. and ask Kevin to come and be the one to serve it. And I'm going to play a song. I, uh, I thought about doing this, and then I forgot to text anybody. But I wrote a song actually called Grapes from Canaan a couple of years ago, which I'll sing while we're doing the communion thing. And uh, we'll take some time to pray during this time and reflect and see what God has for us. I know a lot of us have already been in the mindset of, okay, in the new year we're going to, uh, in the new year we're going to, uh, you know. And I think this was a good opportunity this morning to take a spiritual version of that if yours didn't include that kind of thing. And it's fine to get in shape. Like, I'm, you know, that's all good, you know, but also spiritual shape, you know. There are things we need to leave behind here and step into. And we have our prayer team, which will be back by the missions wall if you need personal prayer for anything. And, yeah, you're on. Well, as we prepare for communion, uh, thinking about the new year, one thing that will not change is Jesus. It says in the Word that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so here we are with communion, and he said to do this in remembrance of me. And uh, we remember his first coming and what he did for us on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We remember all these things about his life. We also remember something that he hasn't done yet, which is an interesting concept. How can you remember something if it hasn't happened yet? Well, we remember his promise of returning, that he's returning and coming back. So we have a hope in this. Even though he hasn't returned yet, as we do this in remembrance of him, we can remember that promise of his return in the future. And so that gives us a hope. And so on the night that Jesus was about, uh, the night before he was about to go to the cross, he had this, this meal with his disciples and one of his disciples uh, betrayed him. And so he took this bread, though, before that betrayal happened. And he said, take this bread. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup that represented his blood. He said, drink this. This is, this is for, this is my, my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask some of the youth to come. Bree, if you want to come and uh, help youth leader. She's not a youth. And then one of the, some guys up here. There we go. So Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and did so many miracles and showed us the way to the Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you went on the cross to atone for the sins, to cover over our sins that we've committed so that we could be with the Father forever. We thank you, Jesus, that you are with the Father right now and that you have given us access to heaven through you. Thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the Spirit of Jesus, that we are never alone in this world, that you've gone before us, you are within us. We thank you, Jesus, that you stay near. And so we remember what you've done and we say thank you, we celebrate, we rejoice, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for coming again for us. And so if you would just come 
uh, line up, what we do is we take the bread and we break it off and you just dip it into the, uh, the juice there. And so Jesus, we thank you for this moment. Bless us in Jesus' name.